today we're going to finish up um, this series on the, on the Holy Spirit. And so um, I want to give you my, my, my bottom line here very quickly at the beginning, and then we're going to kind of roll right into this. The bottom line for this entire series has been this fulfilled commission flows from a spirit-filled Christian. Amen? Fulfilled commission flows from a spirit-filled Christian. What does that mean? God has purposes and plans for every single one of us. And he wants to not only save us so that we go to heaven, but he wants to empower us so that we can live the life that he's, he's destined for us. Every person here, every person that hears my voice, we all have a purpose and a destiny in God. And, and he doesn't want to just say, here's, here's what it is. Now go out and try to figure it out on your own. He will empower us and help us to live that. Amen. So that's what we've really been talking about here. And so um, in the last, last week and this week, we've been talking about what that empowerment is really for. And it's not just for us to, you know, have good services or whatever that kind of thing is. Like we like to do in Pentecostal churches, sing loud and dance and clap our hands and all that. It's not for that. And there, there are probably many reasons why God empowers us, but there are three main ones that I'm trying to hit in last week and this week. And that is this, that we are empowered to share. By the way, if you don't have notes, you can get them. I think we have some somewhere. Ann's got them or something. We are empowered to share. We are empowered to hear. And we, we are empowered for prayer. Amen. So last week we talked about being empowered to share, which means that the, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And for us, that means that we will be witnesses in Coos Bay and Coos County and Oregon and the United States and around the world. Amen. And, and those, those dreams and those things are not bigger than us. Like we live in Coos County where we have this mindset that nothing really good happens here in Coos County. But really God has called us, all of us. He's called all of us to, to be empowered to, to touch nations. Amen. But it starts right here where we're at. You got to bloom where you're planted. Amen. And so we talked about that last week. And this week I want to talk about these two things. We, we are empowered to hear and we are empowered for prayer. Okay, and so where I'm going to end this today is actually going to launch us into our message series next week. But I want to talk about hearing. How many of you want to hear from God? Like, like we think in, in the world today, when we talk about hearing from God, that's just the nut jobs, right? The nut jobs. If you say if you say you hear from God, like I heard from God, then it's like you're a weirdo. You know, only the weirdos hear from God. But honestly speaking, but biblically speaking, you're a weirdo if you're not hearing from God. That, you, you, that we should be hearing from God. Jesus said, now Jesus said it, so we should believe it, right? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, okay? My sheep hear my voice. And so it's not unusual, whether it's through a word or the scripture or a prophetic word or, or God speaking to us through the stars or nature or whatever it is that God would speak to us. And we should have clear communication with him just like we do with each other, right? And so... He wants us to hear from him. And in the church, he's given, us, um, he's given us some different ways that we hear from him. Okay? And, and there's lots of different ways. I really want to kind of focus around one thing today, but there's going to be some other things thrown in with it. So hopefully I don't get too off in the weeds with some of this today. But last week we started talking about speaking in tongues. Again, only weirdos do that, right? But honestly speaking, if you read the book of Acts, they were doing that all the time. And so it's not weird. It's not unusual. It's completely biblical and completely scriptural. In fact, 
Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a bunch of verses to you today that, that say just that. Because I know, I know in the church today, there's a lot of trouble that people have with that. Either they think it's just weird and they don't have anything to do with it, like we talked about last week. Or they think that was something for back in the Bible days, but that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, or whatever, for a myriad of reasons, it's weird. It's just weird. So I, I'm going to look weird if I do it, so I don't want to do it, that kind of stuff, right? Um, but really, what I want to show you today, and just again... You don't have to believe anything I say. I'm just going to give you the word, and you can do what you want with it, okay? Because, because uh, God has given us this gift, uh, actually in a couple different forms that I want to share with you today, and as a way of him communicating with us and as a way of us communicating with him, amen? And so we are empowered to hear. Now, when it comes to tongues, I want to point out that as I'm talking about these things today, many of these will also relate to prophecy or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Or, or even uh, if you guys have ever heard of like a travailing prayer, um, like where, where people are just like weeping before God and you think, why are they over there just crying in the corner or something? And we don't think anything else is going on other than they're over crying in the corner. But a lot of times that's actually, and I'll show you, because I don't want you to think I'm a weirdo, that I'll show you that, the whole, that that can be the Holy Spirit praying through us. Right. And that even though we have no idea what we're praying or how we're praying or what it might all be about, that he's doing his own intercession through us. And that's quite powerful because I can pray a prayer out of my own brain and be like, hey, God, I need you to do this. But if it's possible, now let me ask you, let me say this. If it's possible for the Holy Spirit to pray through you, isn't that better than your own prayer? It doesn't do away from your own prayer. Like it doesn't mean that we don't pray. In fact, I'll show you that today, too, that he says we need to pray our prayers, too. But if it's possible, and, and that's what I'm going to throw out to you today. If this is possible, wouldn't we want that? That the Holy Spirit himself would actually pray through us and pray perfect prayers. That whatever it is that we're praying, whether we get it or not, that's a perfect prayer between the Spirit of God through us to God and back to us. Because God will answer that prayer. Amen? And so that's what I'm going to talk a lot about tongues today. But I also want you to know that it's about the, any way that God could speak to you. Prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, any of those gifts that God gives to the church. Amen. And so even though I'm focusing on one, it means more. All right. So I want to talk to you because tongues are they're um, confusing even to people that have walked with God for a long time. Even us Pentecostal weirdos, the charismatics and all that, you know, that the tongues is um, kind of confusing to some people, even if you've been around for a long time. And so I want to make a couple distinctions today because. Last week I was talking about how when the when the whole I'm, I'm laying some foundations here, so I'm no I'm not I'm not getting anywhere yet. But just stick with me. Uh, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, last week I was sharing with you that in scripturally speaking, whenever they would get filled with the Holy Spirit, that would come with the gift of tongues and prophecy, and they would they would speak of the great wonders of God. Amen. And sometimes they would speak those in different languages, and which is also pretty awesome. And uh, so that's that's that manifestation of tongues and so in our church we believe that most of the time when you get filled with the holy spirit you'll probably speak in tongues and then people go nope 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 look at the bible it says that only some people get that but what what is missed is that there is a distinction between the gift of tongues and a prayer language that god would give you okay and again this is all very clearly scriptural and i'll show you in just a minute that there is a gift of tongues that God gives someone for the benefit of the church. And then there's a prayer language that God gives us so that we can pray just between us and God. So a gift of tongues would need to be interpreted in the church or else it's worthless to us. 
But a prayer language is just something between us and God, and only God has to understand that, and that's all that matters, okay? So, again, I know this may be a little bit confusing, but we're going to get there, so hang with me. So first I want to talk about being empowered by God to hear from him, okay? And that is the gift of tongues or the spiritual gifts that have been given to the church. And so let's look in. Um, let me quit yakking here, and let's get into the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. It says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles by the same, excuse me, to to another working miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, that's a mouthful. Amen. But what that's saying there is that there's only one spirit. One of the things, this is just a little bit of a side, I, one of the things that I have a pet peeve about in the church is when somebody's really amped up about a particular ministry they, they're in, they think that that's the best one. Okay, so if somebody's really amped up about evangelism, if somebody else has a different gift, then they're like, well, my gift is better than yours. And, and if somebody has a worship leader gift, then it's like, you all have to worship like me, and so I'm better than you. If you have a teaching gift, I'm a teacher, you're not, that makes me better than you. But really, scripturally speaking, we have to understand that none of us have these gifts because we, th- th- because we did anything to get them, right? God just, like, drops them on us. It's like if you just walk over and give you $1,000, and then you do something with that $1,000 for God, and then go, look what I did. You didn't do anything. I just gave you that money. Right? It's like when I talk to you about my kids when they were younger, I would give them money. I would give them money to buy me a Christmas present, and then they would go out and buy me a Christmas present. And then when they gave me the Christmas present, I would freak out like that was the coolest thing ever. Like they had really done something great for me, even though I gave them the money to get me the gift. Amen? And in the church, God will just, he will gift people with abilities to do things. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has one. It, it, whether, you, whether you are a follower of Christ or not, we have God-given gifts inside. There are things inside of us that we can do that are, we can just do. You know, we think it's like false humility in the church. We say, man, you're really good at that. And you go, oh, you know, well, it's not me. It's God. And, I, you know, as I say, if it was God, it would be way better than what you did. But that was pretty good. Okay? So if you use your gift for God, people that aren't even saved have gifts from God. Because we're born with them. What, what matters is if we take the gift that we have and we use it for him once we come into relationship with him. That's what matters. So whatever gift you have, whatever gift I have, it's not for me. It's for the body. Okay, and so in 1 Corinthians 12 here, he says God has given these different kinds of gifts to the church. Now, those gifts, some people will say they were done back with the apostles or whatever, but there's no indication in Scripture that these gifts would ever pass away. And so in the church today, just as 2,000 years ago, we should have the gift of speaking in tongues. We should have the gift of interpretation, the gift of the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, the gift of healing, miracles. All of these things should be in function in the church today, just like back then. Amen? But what I want you to key in on for today's message is how many of those gifts that were just listed there have to do with us hearing from God? 
God has not put us out on a limb and said, you have to go out there and figure it out on your own. That's good news because we're all stupid sheep, right? If I'm going to go out and try to figure out life on my own, I'm just going to fall flat on my face. I know that from experience. So, so I'm going I'm to always go out and do the wrong thing and say, hey, here's what I feel like God has called me to do. I'm going to run out and try to do it, and then I'm going to fall flat on my face. Okay? But God has not left us out on a limb there. He's, he says, I will give gifts so that I can speak to you what you should do, and then I will empower you to do it. And so in that list there, he says there's a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, there's prophecy, there's the gift of tongues, and there's a gift of interpretation. Now, I want you to understand that in this context, tongues is a gift. And it's given so that it can come through the church so that we can get, as a body, we can get a message from God. He can speak to us. So you'll notice in there, in this, this context, it says some will have the gift of tongues and others will have a gift of interpretation. Now, uh, interestingly enough, my dad, all of my life since we've been in church, has the gift of tongues. And we don't see that much now because they're not able to come because of COVID, right? But they're, they're, my, my dad, as far back as I can remember, would always have a gift of tongues. We'll be in the middle of worship or something, and he'll just bring a message in tongues, and then everybody will sit around for a minute, and then somebody will interpret it and say, hey, this is what that was. You'll notice that very, it can happen, but very often one person notice has the gift of tongues, and the other will have a gift of interpretation. Okay, this is very different than a prayer language, which we're going to get to in a minute. So in the church, there are times, and, and I think probably all of us have been there at, at least one time or another, if you've been in the church for a while, when, when there will be a message brought forth in tongues. And then, and then it's like, okay, now what do I do with that? Because, because I know and you know that if a message is brought in tongues, that doesn't do me any good, does it? If somebody just stands up or sits or whatever and they, they bring a message in tongues, that doesn't do me any good because I have no idea what that was. To my human mind, that just sounds like a bunch of gibberish, right? To, to me, okay? But what it's saying here is in the church, there will not only be those who have that gift where they will bring the message in tongues, but God will also give someone else an interpretation, and, and so what he's saying in these, in these verses, and what I'm going to talk about here in just a moment, I'll read, read to you a little bit more, is that he says, in the church, when a message comes in tongues, that must be interpreted or else it's going to be worthless to the body. Because some people say, well, that all went away. We don't need that anymore, and, and we shouldn't have that anymore. But listen, that's always important to us because God's trying to speak to us, but it must come with an interpretation. Does that make sense? I, I know that today is not my normal uh, kind of jump up and down and amen kind of message, but I'm trying to give us some deep stuff foundationally here, okay? So when you look at 1 Corinthians, if you back up a few verses from what I read, in verse 1 it says this, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. We're supposed to want this stuff. We're supposed to pursue it in the church. We're supposed to say, God, pour out prophecy on us. Pour out a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Pour out the gift of tongues and interpretation because we want to hear from you. We don't want to just come and sing a song and go home and be like, well, there was that. We did that. We want to be able to actually hear from you. So he says, desire spiritual gifts. And then he says this, especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. 
Now watch this. Paul said this. I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So, again, you'll have people in the church that say, we don't need tongues, we just need prophecy. Because Paul said prophecy was better, right? Did Paul say prophecy was better? He didn't. He did, but he didn't. He did, but he didn't. Because he says prophecy is better unless it's interpreted. So I want you to notice there that in that passage, he says that a message in tongues is not as good as a prophecy unless that tongues is interpreted. Because if it's interpreted, then it's on the same level of importance. And why does God choose to do this? Here's another question. Why does God choose to do it this way? I have no idea. Here, here's your pastor that's been to school and trained and all of that. Why does he choose to do it that way? I have no idea other than he just did. Why doesn't he just say prophecy? Why doesn't he just say word or not? Why do we have to have a tongues and then an interpretation? Why doesn't he just say it? Right? I don't know. I don't know. But he's chosen to do it this way. So he says that prophecy is better unless there is an interpretation. Okay, so prophecy is good, but tongues and interpretation is good also. But if the tongue is not interpreted, I'm beating this dead horse here. I'm just trying to get the point across. The tongue is only good if it's interpreted for everybody. Does that make, that make sense, right? Because I don't want to beat that dead horse anymore. Okay, so watch this. When, when we come into the church and there is, a, there is a, a, a message in tongues that is given, we should all pray for the, somebody to have that gift of interpretation. Now, you might be like, well, I pray somebody else will get it. But you also should pray, guy, if you want to give it to me, give it to me. Because there's been a lot of times I thought, because as I grew up in the church, there were just certain people. And I know if, if you weren't raised Pentecostal church or whatever, this is like outside the box. But for me, it was just like, it's just the way it works, is that I knew certain people in the church that were going to give the tongues, and I knew who was going to. If there was a message given in tongues, I knew exactly who was going to give the interpretation. Okay? And I knew exactly who the people would be that would give the message in tongues. Right? And, and so whenever that was given, I wouldn't really ever be like, oh, God, give me the interpretation or something like that. I'd just be like, oh, God, give her that or give him that or whatever the case was. And, and then one day I realized, because I was praying along, and all of a sudden somebody gave a message in tongues, and then it was just like, I don't know. How do you explain that? Again, I don't really know unless you know how it's happened. I just knew what it was, and I was like, boom, I just said it. And then I was like, whoa, how'd that happen? Because I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't trying to figure that out. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody into thinking anything. It just popped into my head, and I just said it. It's like, wow, that was pretty cool. Right? So we should desire these gifts. So whether it's message in tongues or interpretation, but here's the main point I want to make on this because I really want to get to the prayer part of this, is that that in and of itself is not helpful to the body unless somebody can interpret it. And that is what's called the gift of tongues. Okay, And so what people sometimes get confused is the difference between the gift of tongues and a prayer language, which would be between us and God. Okay, because there's a different kind of tongues that is spoken, and you go, no, there's not, you're going to make this up. I'm going to show you where it's at here in a minute, okay? But there's a different thing that happens when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, it doesn't have to be just tongues. It could be you weeping before God. It could be a, a, a prophetic utterance. It could be any of these things, okay? But what I want you to understand is that there is a language, when you get filled with the Spirit of God, there's a language that's between you and Him. And, and it's actually very, very powerful 
Because things that you, that you don't know what to pray, in fact, literally it says here in a second, when you don't know what to pray, when you don't know how to pray, that the Spirit himself can pray through you. And, and the Spirit is always going to pray the will of God, and so that's always good. And this is, this is where we become empowered to pray, which is what I want to get to. It's your second point here, and we'll, we'll go relatively quickly, I think, from this point. Okay, now watch this. In, 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 in the midst of the verses that we've already read, in, in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 14, I want you to notice a distinction. That in verses 1 to 5, he's, he's talking about how there must be an interpretation if there's a tongue given to the body. Okay? But I want you to notice in verse 2, he says something a little bit different. He says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, this is the Bible, right? I'm not making this up. Anybody? Okay, because I know that this is kind of like, this is weird. I just want to point out, this is right there. It's right here in the book. It says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. In verse 14, it says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, when I'm praying in a tongue, I haven't got a clue what I'm talking. It sounds like just babble to my brain. That's why I'm always telling people, when you're, when you're praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, please do not pray to speak in tongues. Don't. Because that will stop you from getting it. Because what happens is if some weird thing starts to come, then you'll shut it down because it sounds weird to you. Because tongues does sound weird. Right here, to brains, it sounds really oddball. Okay? And what happens is that begins to, the spirit begins to move, and you're so focused on what it sounds like that you shut everything down, and God doesn't really have a chance to move inside of you because you're too up here in your head. Okay? Does that make any sense? Again, man, I know that this is not my typical message, but, but there, there's some empowerment that God wants to bring to our church. He wants to really bless our prayer time. He wants to increase our prayer time, and, and this, this is the kind of thing that helps us with that. Okay? So... He says there, when I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. Now, here's the thing, because to my brain it sounds weird, but we have to understand that we have to kind of like not let that get in the way because scripturally it says that we're speaking mysteries, that we're, that we're speaking directly to God in a language that he understands even though it sounds like gibberish to us. And so you have to understand that it's quite powerful when that's happening even though to every observer it would seem very weird and very oddball. Okay, and so he says... When I'm praying, I don't know what, I, what is happening, but my spirit is praying, and so there is value in that. There is value in that. Does that make any sense? Because it may not have value to my understanding, but it has value to my prayer life. And this is where we go from the gift of tongues to having a prayer language. That, that, that when I'm praying, sometimes I'm praying just how I pray, and sometimes I may pray in a tongue, sometimes I may pray through my, my tears, through my weeping, through groaning, which we'll talk about in a minute. But all of that, we're like, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. It doesn't feel like I'm really connecting with God. But we have to know whether we feel it or not, there's a connection with God that's going on there that is more powerful than anything we're ever going to come up with on our own. Amen? So he says that this is fruitful in the spirit, but it's unfruitful to us because we don't understand it. So he says, my understanding is unfruitful, but it's, it's something that is still powerful. 
So we're not talking about something going on with the body here. We're talking about just between me and God now. Does that make any sense? So if somebody is just in here praying or worshiping or whatever, and they're speaking in tongues, and some religious, hyper-religious person is going to be like, hey, you know, they need to interpret that. No, because that's not what it is. There's something else happening. That's something going on between them and God. That's a prayer thing that's going on. And it's powerful. Do you know how powerful it is? When you really understand this, the, the Scripture says that it is God himself in us praying through us. The Spirit of God in us praying to the Father through Jesus for us and praying things that we could never figure out that we even needed to pray. Does that sound too good to be true? Because it does, right? It sounds too good to be true, and yet that is what God has given us access to in our faith walk. So watch this. Romans 8. Oh, man, I'm going to show you something here in a minute. I hope I, hope, I, hope I can teach it right. Romans 8.26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. That's good news, is it not? Because we're all a bunch of sinners and whatnot, and he comes and helps us with that. Okay? For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with, gro which gro excuse me, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows the mind of, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we always pull out that last verse there, and that's the one we put up on the wall and post on Facebook and, and, and all of that, you know, uh, the home interiors with the fancy writing. We put that up on the wall. All things work together for good to those that love God who have been called according to his purpose. But we don't, we don't forget that all things working out coming out of those verses that were happening there before it. Is that the things are working out because there's Romans 7 and 8 is, is a, I got to do this quickly. Romans 7 is a tough chapter if you've ever really studied it. Because Romans 7 is the law reveals to me what a sinner I am. And in my flesh, I cannot overcome that sin. No matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I work, no matter how much willpower I have, I am not going to overcome my sin. Right? So whatever your particular sin is, whatever your particular failure is, whatever your particular struggle is, Romans 7 basically is like the law of the Bible tells you what you're supposed to do, and in my flesh, I can't do it. I want to, but I don't. And that's where it gets into that. Even it's To me, sometimes even the way Paul writes it is confusing. Because you can tell that there's a struggle going on with what he's dealing with in his brain. And so he's like, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. And I want to do this, but I don't. And, and it's not me. It's sin in me. And it's the spirit. And it's the flesh. And it's the law. And, and, and then he ends the chapter there. He's like, who can help me with this? Because it's hopeless. You, you should read Romans 7. Because Romans 7 is like, you read that and you're like, man, I don't know. you, you got to like break it down word by word sometimes to figure out what he's even talking about. And you can see the struggle that Paul is going through. The chiefest, the chiefest of the apostles. We, we, think, we think we're struggling along because we're having a hard time. The guy that wrote one-third of the New Testament is like, I, I'm having the same struggle. But then he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation. 
because I because the Spirit of God. Because then he goes into Romans chapter eight, and there's this whole really awesome chapter. But in the middle of Romans eight, he's talking about getting your breakthrough in all of this by through your prayer. Oh man, I wish I could teach this better to you guys. In between his struggle and when you get over to nothing can separate me from the love of God and we're overcomers and all of that kind of stuff. In between the struggle and the overcoming, he starts talking about prayer. And he says, when you're praying and you don't know what to pray and you don't know how to pray because you're in the middle of this battle going on in your life, whatever that battle is, he says the Holy Spirit will come and pray right through you and get an answer to a prayer that you didn't even know you need to pray. Right? That's good news. So, so he says, and this is, this is, this is awesome. This, this is really cool right here, okay? But um, that, there's a word in there, groanings. He says he'll pray through us, intercede for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, I was texting Josh all excited this week because um, you remember that I preached on this subject like a couple years ago. And when I was going back over that preparing for today, I saw something that in all of my years I've never seen. And, and I've been... I've heard this, these messages all my life. Some of you have too. And I just saw an aspect of the groanings. In fact, we were going to sing a song today, but it wasn't working out uh, about, about that. And, and it's in that word groanings. Now, if you know, oftentimes when you look in the Greek word, if you can kind of trace where that word came from, you, get a little, you can find some little more information about it. Okay, So that word groanings in, in the language that the New Testament was written in, which was Greek, that word is the word stenogmos. Okay, stenogmos. And you, we don't get a whole lot out of that because it says he'll intercede through us with groanings. And the word stenogmos means groaning. So you're like, thanks a lot for that there, Revelation Pastor. We could have figured that out on our own, right? But the interesting thing that I, that I discovered in there is that the word stenogmos comes from another word. Okay, like it comes from another word, and that word is stenos. Okay, you guys ever heard of stenosis? What, what is a stenosis? Anybody? What? Say it out loud. It's a narrowing. If you have a, a stenosis in your arteries, it means your arteries are narrowing. If you, spinal, if you ever heard of spinal stenosis, it means that your, your vertebrae is narrowing and it's pinching in on your nerves and that's problematic. That word stenos means a, the narrow way or the straight way. That is kind of cool, actually. Because what, it mean, what that means to us is it means that when the Holy Spirit prays through us, he's going to pray us onto the straight way, the narrow way. Because what does Paul say in Romans 7? I don't know how to do this. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know how it's supposed to be done, but I just don't do it. Because I keep falling on my face all the time. But when the Holy Spirit comes and prays through me, he prays a prayer that will set me on the straight way. Not only does it set me on the straight way, but I'm praying a straight, narrow prayer. I'm praying the prayer that needs to be prayed, even though I don't have a clue what it is that I may actually be saying or weeping or crying or groaning out. Whatever it is, God knows what that is. Okay, this is going to this will mean something else here in just a second, which I hope will connect with you. So that, that word stenogmos, groanings, comes from a word that means the straight and narrow way. If you take that back even further a step, that comes from the word histomai. So histomai becomes stenos, and stenos becomes stenogmos. Does that make any sense? Okay, probably not, but we'll, we'll say it anyway. So if you trace that back to the word histomai, the word histomai means to make firm, excuse me, to cause or make to stand, to make firm, to fix, or to establish. Okay, now you're like, well, so what? 
Can we click that down on there? Is it working? It's not working? Okay. So that word there means to make, to make firm, to fix, or to establish. So what does that mean? When the Holy Spirit is interceding through me, whether through tongues or groanings or whatever way that is, these are prayers that are going to fix me and establish me on the straight path. Okay? Obviously, I'm not teaching this good because this is better than, than I feel like it's getting across. In that word groan, because we think of groanings as just like, Mah. I'm groaning. Mah. What good could that possibly do in prayer? Nothing. Nothing. It means a deep sigh, too. My wife always gets irritated with me because when I get, when I get stressed out or, or I'm tired or whatever, I'll just be sitting around and go. <sighs> She's like, there you go again. There you go again. What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. Why do you say that? Because you're over there going. <sighs> what, what, spiritual, what spiritual fruit could possibly come from that? And yet if you dig into what it really means, it means that those times, not, not just when I'm signed because I'm being a butthead or something to my wife or whatever, but it, when, when I'm doing that, when the Spirit is doing that through me, then there, are, there, there is an establishing that's going on. There's a substance that comes to my prayer, and there's a substance that comes to my life when I'm praying in that way. Now, again, I want to keep reiterating this. I know it's the dead horse, but oftentimes these prayers that are, okay, everybody hearing me right now? These prayers that are the most powerful prayers can seem like the least likely prayers to be anything before God. Because sometimes God has to take us out of the equation so that he can get us on the place where he needs us to be and not what we're praying out of our own thoughts. Okay? And so sometimes when it's just that person over there in the corner crying through the whole worship service or, or somebody that's, that's, you know, back in the old days, they would call it the travailing prayer where people are just wailing before God. And people are like, what's wrong with them? It's like there's nothing wrong with them. They're just, they're just, they're just going after God right now. Okay? And it's like those things seem like they would be the least powerful, the least effective thing that you could do. But when we look at it from a scriptural perspective, it says these are the most powerful prayers because when we pray those, God is actually praying through us. Okay, That word histami there, which means to, to fix or to establish or to make firm. Um, I know I'm getting in the weeds with the Greek words today. I'm sorry, but there's another word called hypostasis. And you don't have to remember all this. Just remember what they mean. When, when the scripture says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? Most of us kind of heard that at least once or twice before. Faith is the substance, right? Because faith is something that you, you know even when there's no evidence, right? How do you know that you're saved? It's faith. You have to take on faith that some dude that lived 2,000 years ago lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross, and then three days later he came out of the grave, that he overcame death, and through his perfect life, the shedding of his blood and his resurrection, that I can just believe in that, and I will be saved and go to heaven? I mean, that sounds like good news, but show me the proof. I, I, I can't show you the proof because I don't have the blood. I don't have the cross. 
Jesus is not physically standing here. I have to take that by faith, right? When I hear the word, I take it by faith. Now, the interesting thing is that God will reveal himself. And you will know, you will know something more than just the faith of it. But the interesting thing is when you step into that relationship with God, it says that by, by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not any work we do. It's a gift of God. Amen? You have to take that by faith. So I believe that Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Okay? Now that faith that I have puts a substance to, there's a substance to something that I can't see. Does that mean, ah, oh man, I'm struggling a little bit today. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. There's a substance to what I believe even though I can't see it. Right? Anything that you, anything you do in your faith walk with God, you have to take a step of faith before there's any evidence that anything is going on. But when you take the step of faith, then God brings the substance. In the Old Testament, he said, I want, now, now, remember, remember the ark. If you touch the ark wrong, you would just die in the Old Testament. Like the, the oxen stumbled one day, and the guy reached up to study, and he touched it, and then he was just dead. So you know nobody's wanting to touch that, right? But then God says to the, to the Israelites, he says, I want you to cross the Jordan River. What I want you to do is have the priest take the ark and step into the river. Rushing river. If I touch this, I'm going to die. If I drop it, I'm going to die. It's got to be perfectly maintained, and God is telling us to step into a rushing river. And when I step into the river, then the river will part. Wouldn't it be much easier if the river just parted and they just walked across? But to take the very representation of the presence of God and step into a rushing river, hoping that when you do that, it'll part so you can walk across, that's a whole different level of faith that you're walking in there. But they had a word from God. This is what God said. And so they had to put substance to something that they didn't know until they stepped into it. So that word for substance is the same word that comes out of our groanings. That when I'm praying to God in a tongue or through a weeping or through a groaning or whatever it is, however he happens to want to do it, when I'm doing that, there's a substance to something that I don't feel like maybe there's a substance to. And it's quite powerful, and God is doing something with it. And I don't see it, I don't know it, but i got to know that it's happening. Amen? And so, if you happen to be in your notes, watch this. When we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede through us with prayer that keeps us on the straight path and will cause us to stand and be established in our faith. Okay? When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit will pray, He will put us on the right course, and He will establish our feet on that path. Okay? I got someone, I got someone in my life that needs a healing. I got someone in my life that needs a, a, a word from God. I need someone in my life that I want to come to faith in Christ. What do you do? You begin to pray. You begin to pray. And you pray all of our prayers. We pray ourselves out. And then God can pray one prayer through us. Boom. And everything changes. Amen. And so when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede through us with prayer that keeps us on the straight path and will cause us to stand and be established in our faith. I want you to notice the way that I worded that, that he will cause us to, because he will cause something that we will not do on our own. Amen? There's only one of, this word stenogmos for groanings, 
there's only, and I'm almost done here, but there's only one other time in the New Testament when this word is used. And it's used in, in the book of Acts. And, and this is interesting. Acts 7.34, and it's actually a quotation of the book of Exodus. He's quoting the book of Exodus. But he can't do that in Hebrew, right? He's got to do it in Greek. And so when it talks about the children of Israel were in bondage, when the children of Israel were in bondage, it says that they, they were groaning to God. They, they, were gro- they were crying out to God. They were groaning. And it says when they groaned before God, God heard that prayer. And that's exactly what set in motion the whole story of Moses. Okay? Did God, did, was it God's plan for Moses to do this all along? Probably yes. But what was it that God used to set that in motion? Man, I know I'm in the weeds with some of this today, guys, but at least grab this part, okay? What was it that set the exodus in motion was the groaning of the children of Israel, that they were crying out to God because they had all sorts of promises from God. They're God's children. They're the chosen ones. Many nations are going to come from them and all of this, and yet they're completely in bondage and slavery in Egypt. You know, you get a promise from God, and then the next thing you know, you end up over in bondage somewhere. You end up in the middle of a struggle, in the middle of a war, in the middle of some crazy thing going on in your life. And you're going, God, I thought you said this. God, I thought you said this. You can respond one of two ways to that. You can get bitter and you can get angry and you can turn your back on God or you can press into his promises. You can press into his promises and you can pray and you can seek him. I know a lot of people who've done both ways. You know, I I get stunned by people. They go through a struggle in their life, and the first thing they do is they get bitter at God. Well, where was God? Where is God in the middle of this? Where was God with that? But I've known other people who take that struggle, and they say, I'm not standing for this. And I'm going to go stand before God, and I'm going to call out to him and say, this is what you said. And I'm just going to stand here, and I'm going to keep calling out to you and calling out to you and calling out to you until you come and do what you said. See, because we believe that God makes promises and answers them. We believe that when God speaks a word, every promise in the word is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So when he gives his word to something, he means it. Amen? And so the problem is a lot of times between where we're at and the fulfillment of that word is a whole big mess. So we can either get better or we can start pursuing God. And when you start pursuing God and saying, God, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek you. And and, and when it was come to the children of Israel, they were in bondage. They were in slavery. Nothing of the promises of God seemed to be working out for them. In fact, it was only getting worse. But they cried out to God. They continued to cry out for God. And when that, that is spoken of in the New Testament, it says that they were groaning before God. They were groaning. They were crying out. They were wailing before God. What about your promise, God? And it says that God heard that prayer. And when God heard that prayer, he met Moses in the wilderness at a burning bush. And he set the whole exodus in motion. He delivered his children. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I do know. We, we most of the time completely overlook what it was that set that whole thing in motion. And we jump right to the burning bush and we say, this is where it began. Does anybody know what I'm saying this morning? 
We'll jump to Moses and go, how great was it that God met Moses at a burning bush? But I want to tell you today that God wouldn't have met Moses at the burning bush unless his children would have been groaning before him, crying out to him. Why do I say that? Because that's exactly what it talks about in Acts Acts chapter 7. God heard his children crying out to him, and he answered with Moses at the burning bush and said, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Amen? So those groanings, again, the things that we think are the most unfruitful are the the prayers that get the attention of God. They get the attention of God. In your notes, it says this. Mountains get moved when you pray in the Spirit because you are praying God's will exactly. I don't know how to pray God's will. Man, just get filled with the Holy Spirit and start praying in the prayer language. Is that tongues? Maybe it's tongues. Maybe it's a wail. Maybe it's a cry. Maybe it's whatever it is. But when you start praying that kind of prayer, you know that you're praying God's will exactly. Now, some people will go, that's just weird. I, don't, I think you're just making that all up. You take the word or don't take the word. It doesn't make any difference to me. This last thing I want to say here, too, is this. Not only when we're praying in the spirit, it's not only an effective prayer between God and us and us and God, but it also scripturally it tells us that our faith is built when we do that. When we pray those, now, does that seem counter, counterintuitive? It very much does, humanly speaking. That if I'm praying in a way that I don't understand, you'd think that would not help my faith at all. But it says when I pray that way, my faith is actually being built up. There's a supernatural thing happening there. Okay? There's a supernatural thing. Because if I'm wailing before God, if I'm praying in a prayer language of tongues, whatever that is, if I'm doing that, it doesn't seem like that would do anything to build my faith. But Jude 20, 21 says that that actually is building us in our faith. Let's read that. We're we're getting to the end here. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Okay, so again, here in your notes, scripturally, if you are praying in the spirit, you are always praying the will of God and you are being built up in your faith. Okay, so watch this and then we're going to roll to the end. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. What is the conclusion then? Hopefully something I've said today has made sense to you. But when we come to the end of all of this, what is the conclusion? Paul says this, I will pray with the spirit. And I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. And I will also sing with the understanding. So what does Paul say? I need to pray prayers in whatever language it is that I speak. Lord Jesus, I need your help. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, here's one of the best prayers that you could ever pray. Lord Jesus, please help me. I don't have good words. I don't have a good spin. I can't preach it in the King James. Thou greatest father up in the heavenly regions of the realms. Oh, Lord, thus, Jesus. I don't know any of that stuff. God doesn't care about any of that stuff anyway. But when we come to him as a child and we say, God, help me, he hears that. So I I pray with my understanding, but I also pray in the spirit. And when you have those two things operating together, it becomes very, very powerful. Amen? Because one of the conclusions of what I'm saying here today is we should never pray. We should never pray according to our understanding. We should just pray in tongues all the time and lay on the floor and cry or weep or something. That's the only way to pray because that's a better way to pray, right? But Paul says, no, at the end of all of this, we need to know that both of these are important. Amen? 
So let me say this. At the end of all of this, if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit before, if you've seen the gift of tongues in operation, if you've prayed in a prayer language, then none of this is new and you get it. But I know that whatever time these kind of messages are preached, there's people that maybe have not ever walked in that before or even heard of it. And when you, when you talk about that, you're like, the Holy Spirit's going to come on me and he's going to pray through me and I'm going to say weird things and, and make weird noises and all kind of stuff. That all seems kind of weird. I get that because it is weird. Can we agree to that? From a human perspective. I'm not talking about spiritually. But let's, let's not be hyper-spiritual for a minute. Let's just talk about Jim Bob walking in off the street and here we are all in here praying in tongues. That's weird. I shared with you last week, I remember the first time when I heard someone um, pray in tongues. Actually, it was a message given in tongues. I was like probably eight, nine years old at the North Bend Church. And a lady stood up and she started like, and I was messing around in the back because I never paid attention to anything back in those days. And that snapped me up and it scared, it scared me. It's like, whoa, what was that? It's weird. So, you might, you might say, I don't know if I want all that. And then there's other people out there that will say, you know, that stuff, that's all the devil. If you speak in tongues, that's all the devil. God doesn't do that anymore. Remember when Jesus was doing all sorts of cool stuff and casting out devils and whatnot? They're like, that's the devil. I know people that firmly believe that anybody that speaks in tongues is possessed of the devil. And it doesn't even matter that you say, well, it's right here in the book. Well, I know, but my Pastor Joe Bob told me this. Okay, well, I guess Pastor Joe Bob knows more than Paul. I know it seems weird, but I just want to leave you with this. Because, again, I don't want you to pursue tongues. I don't want you to pursue weeping. I don't want you to pursue groaning. What we need to pursue is the Holy Spirit. Because when we get the Holy Spirit, everything else will just work itself out. So, so if you're like, oh, I felt weird and whatnot, I want to just read this to you, and then we're going we're gonna to close today. You're like, thank you. Please hurry up. All right. Luke 11, verse 9. It says, so I say to you, this is Jesus said this. If Jesus said it, it's good, right? Jesus said, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, I just want to point out there, some people take that verse and mean like, hey, I want a new car, so I'm going to ask God for a new car, and he has to give it to me because he said so. But you've got to understand the context. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. So he says, ask, and it will give it to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I, I just want to finish today by saying this. Um, again, you ever thought about that verse? I mean, have you ever really thought about that verse? What kind of father would do something like that? If you come to him, I'm like, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I get an egg for breakfast? And he's like, yeah, son, hold your hand out. Close your eyes. I'm going to give you an egg. And then he drops a scorpion in your hand. 
for like, hey, Dad, can we have some uh, fresh halibut for dinner? Yeah, son. And then he sets a snake on the table in front of you. What kind, what kind of dad would do something like that? Not a very good one. And yet, with the understanding we have to have of that verse is if I seek God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I say, God, I want every single thing that you said that I could have. I want every promise. I want your Holy Spirit in me. Then do you think that the God, because people are like, if you pray that prayer, the devil's going to get in you and possess you. Do you think that God Almighty who creates universes with a word, if you are saying, God, I want everything that you have for me, is going to let the devil get in there and mess with that? There is no way. He says, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to give it to you. He's just going to do it. So, so again, I want in, in all of this that I've been saying to you, I've been trying to make the point, don't seek a manifestation. Seek God. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. God, let's pray right now if you, want, if you want to do that. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just come to you and we realize that if we're in right relationship with you, that, that we can have the Holy Spirit, that it is a gift given to us. We don't do anything to deserve it. We don't do anything to get it. It's just a gift that we have from our relationship with you. And it's an empowering that you give us to be a witness for you, to live a life that you want us to live, to overcome our sins and our failures. It's a gift that you give us, Lord, that allows us to hear from you, that you speak to your body, that you speak to the church, Lord, that we should hear you, that it's normal, it's not weird, it's not crazy that you speak to us. God, and the, the Holy Spirit will come and pray through us, and we can speak to you mysteries that we don't even understand. And Father, I just pray that, that today and this week and, and moving forward in our lives, that we would walk completely filled with you. Completely filled with you. Whatever that looks like, whatever that experience is, Lord, we lay it down before you, and we trust you. We trust you that you would never give us anything that's bad for us or wrong for us. And I thank you for that this morning. I thank you for that this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just want to thank you as we get ready to close this morning, Lord, that um, there's so many amazing things that you're doing in our church right now. In our prayer times, our discipleship times, our Bible study times, our worship times, and Lord, I, I don't ever, uh, I don't ever want those things to become um, just going through the motions or rituals, or Lord, that we sing songs that stir up good emotions, and then we say that we met with you, and really we just got stirred in our emotions or something. Lord, I just pray in our church that you give us a pure flow of your Holy Spirit in everything that we do, every song every message, every prayer in our fellowship, in our lives, God, that you would that you would do what you want to do in us and through us, that you would cause us to be established and firm in our faith, that you would cause us to walk on the straight way and the narrow way, and I thank you for that. And Fathers, we're getting ready to leave this morning. I just uh, I pray that um, for everyone that's in this room and everyone that's listening, God, that you would bless them and keep them, that you would cause your face to shine on them, 
Uh, you be gracious to them. Show them favor this week and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you and thank you for being here.